This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's going on everybody? Welcome back from a couple hours ago to episode number 130 of the Only Friends podcast and I'm going to be your host again on a Friday. Matt went to go to the bike, Conrad went to go uh, try to pay off the tab, and uh, Chin's uh, somewhere far away. But instead I have a guest. I have a good friend of mine and one of my original first coaches, Jeremiah Williams with me here today to talk about all things poker, all things cheating, and uh, we're going to get into it. So how are you doing, Jeremiah? You know, I'm doing great. Yeah. It's, it's good to be here. Yeah. You know, there's a lot going on in the poker world right now. <laughs> there is. There's a lot going on, and I'm really happy to, uh, like, honestly, I'm very happy to have this conversation with you. It's a little bit overdue. You know, it's been a while. Yeah. Finally, we get to sit back down, talk, whether public or private setting, and just shoot the shit, you know? Uh, and at least we'll start on a high note, you know? Two bracelets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was unexpected. <laughs> uh, I'm feeling good. Two bracelets. Coming off, a, coming off a win in the prestigious $500 turbo. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 How did it feel? Uh, it felt pretty good. I mean, obviously, I just got really lucky. Uh, in some regards. You, you got to be essentially the chosen one. Um, very fast structure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that my edge is quite decent but <laughs> just very lucky i'm not much of a tournament player mm -hmm. to be honest yeah um really just a cash game player mm -hmm. as you know yeah and never really uh expected to win bracelets i kind of just play them once in a while you've had a sick series so far um, yeah <laughs> you want to yeah. talk let's talk about it a little bit how many events have been going on during this uh, online bracelets uh there's just been like one a day or one every other day or something like this yeah, I got like a. I've just been running really well. Mm -hmm. um, Fourteen events, four final tables. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty. It's. I mean, it's just. It's, it's pretty. It's, not, it's pretty absurd. It's. It's not like some act of uh, outrageous skill. There's definitely much better tournament players than I am uh, playing these things. I'm not very well studied. I'll admit that. In MTTs, but yeah. you are in general when it comes to poker. Uh, yeah, in general, yeah, yeah, and no limit cash which is my bread and butter mm -hmm. uh, deep stack play. consider myself pretty good. So the last time that you ended up traveling for a tournament was when I was still in the stable and it was for a WPT in Florida. Yeah. Man. Three years ago. Three, three years ago. Holy shit. I literally just got into poker, just uh, dropped out of school, had that little bit of time and then you found me but so what are your thoughts when it comes to the overall like inclusion of having more online bracelets like more series and bracelets as a whole versus live bracelets right because of the prestige and the value what do you think it does to the brand or what do you think the pros and cons are are having multiple of these and you being a two-time online bracelet winner you're a multiple bracelet winner now um personally so i might be a little bit biased i guess now that i have two <laughs> I mean, I think they're mean like a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't, as far as like meaning more or less than a live bracelet, uh, obviously like the main event bracelet is worth more, but in general, I don't think most of the bracelets necessarily hold 
much value. Most of the value would be sentimental value. Right. The value that I guess you give the bracelet yourself. Exactly. And how much you personally care about the bracelet. As far as being a testament of poker skill, I don't think that bracelets is necessarily a great testament of poker skill level. Right. Because back Live in the day. Or online. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, the branding on these bracelets is so big, right? And people love the turnouts of the series this year. It's massive, right? And online, who are we to judge or care when it comes to having that overall amount of more bracelets in the field? Sure, it dilutes the overall value. But at the same time, it brings more value to being a multiple-time bracelet winner because it shows you're proven time and time again in the fields. And some would say it loses its luster, but then when it comes to pros and the professional standpoint of bracelets themselves, it's like, oh, these aren't really that important when it comes to the way that the elite view each other, but they are good for a personal standpoint when it comes to personal brand, when it comes to trying to market and sell yourself to companies for potential deals, because it's nice when people have such an affiliation with WSOP, and then they say, oh, we have X two-time bracelet winner, Jeremiah Williams, uh, as part of the team. You yeah, know? yeah. They definitely, I mean, the power is in the perception, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into poker in the first place? You know, like, talk to me about how you started playing so young, you know, because we've had conversations, and of course, where you've been playing poker for a long time, like more than you'd expect from someone that's also 23. Right. I mean, well, I started playing poker when I was 15, about, about eight years ago. You're almost a decade vet. I know. It's just a little bit weird. I feel like the time has really flown by <laughs> uh, when you're in the game. Yeah. Putting in uh, <laughs> a lot of time. It really just goes by fast. Yeah. But, yeah, so... I, got, I mean, I got into poker as a live poker player originally, actually, mm -hmm. which most people assumed that I was just always an online player. Right. Uh, it's actually untrue. I was a live player for about two years. Okay. Uh, when I was 15 to 17, I would say. And then I got online mm -hmm. and kind of just started to like online poker more. I'm more of an online poker guy myself. I would say I play maybe 80% of my year online. Uh-huh. Were you uh, playing or doing anything before poker that kind of got you into it? Like, when it comes to games or things of that nature? Oh, yes. Yes, most definitely. I was playing the Pokemon trading card game. That's um, strong. Not many people play Pokemon, the card game. Or was it pretty big well, where you were? It, it's, it was pretty big where I was. Uh-huh. In a small town in northern Illinois. It was actually very big. We had the three-time world champion for Illinois. Wow. These other, uh, like, national champion. This guy who got second in the world championship multiple times. Mm -hmm. Basically, all the best players... Uh, in the early days of Pokemon were all from my area. Really? That's so yeah. interesting. It was just a, just a weird coincidence. Yeah. Um, and I did, so I did have a lot of like older mentors growing up who were quite skilled at games, who were really good people. Mm -hmm. And a couple of those Pokemon players were also part-time poker players. Oh, nice. Mostly playing, you know, like live 2-5, 5-10. Right. For you know, making whatever amount of money, like 70K a year, I don't really know even. Yeah. But to me as a impressionable, like 14-year-old, I saw them doing that, and I realized uh, you got to play that game. Yeah. You got to play poker. If you want to be uh, playing games for a living, that there's no other game you can really play 
not to that caliber, right? Because when I was yeah. younger, uh, I got into Magic. I was playing Magic the Card Game or Magic the Gathering at around 11 to 13. So that was kind of my first intro into card games. So I remember me and my brothers would like run around the Magic store and just like with our heads cut off, really. And that was my first intro into games that weren't just like chess as a board game. Because I started playing chess when I was younger and did some stuff with that. But that was my first adolescent experience when it comes to the teenage years of getting into a game and being like, oh, games are fun. And this is kind of how I think that I want to spend my time. Because when you're younger, it's not like you know that you're going to be a professional poker player. But I did know that I loved games. Right. At least that's for me. Right. That could segue into any game. Yeah. Really. Right. So how did you end up getting into poker in the first place? Like, what, what brought you there? Oh, to those live games. Yeah. Oh, um, well, obviously, I wasn't uh, of age, and there's not really uh, that many poker rooms yeah. around. But there's a lot of private games. Not high-stakes private games, mm-hmm. obviously. Like, 1-3, 2-5. Um, I had a friend from Pokemon... The card game who was like a part-time dealer mm-hmm. just a bit older than me dealt in these games and i mean shady home games don't care if some 15 year old starts playing there they're happy to rake your money <laughs> right to be frank exactly they, <laughs> they, yeah, they no don't one care. cared right very rarely did anyone care mm-hmm. and one game leads to another game and, it, and it's not like these like two five live games are so private where it's very restricted to get in it's not like a high stakes live game right something like this yeah 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 so when you were 21, and you're mostly based in Florida, right? When you were 18, because you could uh, play live in Florida. Yeah, I was moving. I moved out to Florida, I believe when I was 19. Uh huh. Started playing a lot of live poker because, um, little known fact, Florida is like the only state where it's 18 and up to play across. I think the entire state. Yeah, it's pretty close. They're in like Oklahoma, maybe for like yeah. uh, Choctaw area. That's I think true. You can be 18. I, re- I remember going out to Choctaw. Yeah. I went out there a couple times. <laughs> Back when it was the only option. <laughs> right. So from there, right, you started getting into high, like high stakes and realized that Vegas was the place to be, right? So what yeah. kind of brought you out to Vegas from the sense of like leaving Florida and chasing opportunity there? Really just turning 21. Yeah. I mean, I moved out there two months after I turned 21. In uh, it was like May 2020. It was mm-hmm. like I think the casinos reopened June of 2020. Mm-hmm. So I was there, pretty much day one. Yeah, ready to go. Right. Just pretty excited, at the basis of just being 21. That was always where I wanted to move. I didn't have much interest in going to uh, California, mm-hmm. or like New Jersey. Yeah. Um, those are also good states to live in to play poker. But no, I just I just like Las Vegas personally. Yeah. So you just. Always had a plan of moving out to Vegas when you were 21? A loose plan, yeah. Right. Just amass as big of a bankroll as possible before and then be ready for Vegas. What was that, what was that number when you moved out to Vegas? Uh, I don't remember. Like low, like low six, something along, along those lines? I don't really remember. Yeah, yeah, sure. To be honest. Yeah. Because um, for me, I never really had a plan of moving out to Vegas. I was in Florida. I was playing online. I was doing some Twitch streaming. And... I was actually uh, in your stable, you know, and I never had many plans when it came to moving out to Vegas and being an adult in my own world, because I'd always stay at home and live that sort of lifestyle. But being fortunate enough to become friends and meet Nick 
and Chewy through streaming on Twitch, they gave me opportunity and they said, hey, you want to come out to Vegas and play these online bracelet events when they first came out on WSOP? And I was just like, yeah, of, of, of course, course, of course. Of course. What, a, what an incredible exactly. like, situation. What, a, what an opportunity. And I wanted to make the most of that. And I told my mom, I was like, hey, I need to go to Vegas and, and do this thing. And being that I was 21 and, and an adult, it's not like she could really say no, you know, when it came to the only thing that could stop me is just getting a plane ticket and going out to Vegas and figuring it out. And she was supportive. She's like, yeah, go out there, like, see what you can do, like, in the sense of being a supportive parent. Obviously, she missed me and really wanted me to stay. But I sort of knew I had to go. But right, right before, like, before then, you know, like, I, the order of me moving out to Vegas was, like, I just left being in your stable. Because you were, you were my coach for roughly eight months or so, eight months to a year. It was August of yeah. 20, 2019 to February of 2020 right around there that sounds about right yeah yeah so yeah. you want to talk about how we met or you want me to, you talk about how we met well uh from my perspective i remember uh you were fairly fresh to poker and a friend of mine was teaching you yeah staking you and for whatever reason i talked with him and we talked about transferring because oh, i ran a well i was running a stable at the time i had maybe a dozen students yeah and that had been going on for about a year with some mild success. Mm -hmm. So my friend who was uh, your, your coach at the time just recommended you to join yeah. my thing. So that happened. And you had a, a fairly meteoric rise, I would say, from going from 10 cent, 20 cent to online 510 yeah. within that year. I remember it was quite fast. You put in like 60 hours a week, yeah. every week with yeah. good results. You were... Uh, Good horse. I was, I was grinding hard, man. I was definitely a good horse from the business perspective. I wasn't the best self to myself from the lifestyle perspective, which I did not realize then, but I realize now, right? When it comes to growing up, being an adult, doing more things, experiencing life. Because back then, and when I dropped out of college, my priority was just making poker my living. It right. was making poker my lifestyle and finding all of my validation of self and things that I thought were so important in poker. And I was like, oh shit, getting the 2K and L, that's where I wanna be. So what, what's the path to get there? I'm, I'm all in. And now looking back, I definitely had a lot of depressive phases and stages and used poker as an escape. You know, poker to me was a vehicle to neglect the real world where you could play the game, like a video game. At the video game, fortunately, allows you to make some money if you're good at it. So I spent so much time just not doing anything else but playing poker. I had six tables yeah. up, had Netflix up, and just uh, was just sitting there grinding because I didn't know what else to do. And looking back, is it the most uh, enjoyable way to go about poker and learning and improvement? No. Do I think it's necessary? No. But it worked for me then. And I can't regret anything from that time, you know? Because I look back at it, and it feels like so long ago from the person I was then, the person that I am now and will eventually become. And I realized that learning poker then 
getting into PyoSolver, which you showed me. You showed me Sims first. So if I'm the child of the Sim, you're the father of the Sim. You're the father of the child of the Sim. I remember those days. Yeah, when Pyo first Pio. came out. Yes, yeah, I remember. Yeah, when Pyo first came out, as well as uh, giving you Pyo and <laughs> debating Sims and trying to get you to listen to the Sims. And <laughs> I remember know. this. Oh my God. Yeah. You remember? Okay, so really good story. So we're in Tampa, or sorry, we're in Hollywood for the WPT, as well as like mostly playing cash because it was a cash stable. And there was a conversation I had with you and we were talking about theory and Sims. And I was like, why does theory matter? Like, why do we need to know theory? I was on the couch. You yeah. remember this? The, yeah. The, the, collective, remember. the collective was swarming in and I was like, what does this matter? What does theory matter? These guys don't play like theory. And you go, yeah, of course they don't. But that's not the point. The point is you need to have a baseline because how can you know what you're possibly doing when you're trying to exploit or like try to find max value in a spot if you don't actively know how you're doing it or what mistakes the person that you're playing against is making in order to be able to make these exploits, which can sometimes be simple as like fold more or bluff more in some spots, but you have to know what the baseline is in order to make a deviation. Yes. And I was like, wow, you're right. But I did not go about it that way. I went about it through arguing and yelling and screaming. And then once you take enough time to realize, yeah, he's playing some pretty high stakes and I'm sitting here playing some 2-5, like he's probably knows something that I don't. And then from there, you know, that's kind of where I had that first breakthrough of realizing how important Sims were. Started running a lot more Sims on my own. And the Sims weren't even that great when it comes to the way that like the mechanics of the Sims I run now, like when it comes to bet sizes and parameters. Right. But at the same time, I remember looking back and in your Discord, there'd be hand history reviews for everybody in the stable. And I remember every time I played a hand that I wasn't sure about, I would just snap the hand history, put it in the chat, snap the hand history, put it in the chat. And then you'd give me quick answers as to like what things would look like in theory, this, that, whatever. And I would run the sim. And uh, you were right, a lot of the time. And that's, that's kind of what right. happens when you put a lot of work in. Yeah, when you, I mean, the tools are really out there to improve at poker nowadays. Yeah. That's for sure. If you put in the time studying, I mean, you can get a really good grasp. If you have a good grasp of pattern recognition, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to learn and the rabbit hole goes very deep. Yeah. And anytime you're in a mindset where you think you know everything is very dangerous. Yeah. Incredibly dangerous. And I, I remember even when uh, your, your resistance to the sim at first was very, is very common attitude actually. Yeah. Uh, especially even when Pio was newer. Yeah. I believe it came out in 15. And back in, back in the day, I remember uh, when I was new to poker, people, everyone thought they knew better than the sim. I mean, it was, every, like, everyone thought they knew better than the sim. They're like, why would I use this tool? Why would I spend $1,000 on this Pio Edge thing? Like, it's not going to be able to exploit the people like me. Like, this is the, con this is the common community uh, idea yeah. about these tools back then and it's just not it's just incorrect really at the end of the day uh, good players use theory and exploit their opponents in conjunction with each other and yeah <laughs> yeah man I remember there was so much pushback and do you think when it comes to tools and things of that nature nowadays it's easier to especially online start getting into the overall cheating and things of that ilk, right? Of being able to have a tool, especially when it comes to these databases, like 
a GTO wizard that has stuff that you can look up in real time and right. people are sort of finding out that there are some people in some games that take lines that are perfect in the output. Right. So. Yeah, there's some good tools out there that are quite fast. Mm -hmm. uh, that's for sure. And poker sites definitely have a tough road ahead of them mm -hmm. as far as combating all of that. How it's going to be done, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. What I do know is that for whatever reason, uh, the sense to not cheat and just be a good person seems to work to some degree because when I'm out there playing online poker every day, high stakes to mid stakes, I don't think that many people are RTAing. I really don't think so. I'm sure that some people are, mm -hmm. but as for, for how, I guess I don't, want, I don't want to give anyone ideas either, uh -huh. actually. But for whatever reason, people don't seem to cheat rampantly. Like, games online are somewhat clean, actually, in my mm -hmm. opinion, at the moment. Sure. Yeah. Like, I can also attest to when I put in my sessions and sample and stream on Twitch, I definitely don't feel like the game has really gone anywhere. Has poker gotten harder in some regards? Sure. Right? Less dead money in some cases. But at the same time, at the moment, some stakes are protected. Because if people are going to, quote unquote, cheat at higher stakes, they would find higher stakes to cheat at as the win rate and hourly is higher. You know what I think could be possible? It's possible that more cheating ha might happen at mid-stakes, right. actually, because the high-stakes pool is so small, it's an everyone-knows-everybody situation to where it wouldn't be, I don't think it would be easy to just start a colluding ring out of, mm -hmm. out of thin air. Right. For mid stakes, do you mean 500 to 2K? And I mean then, more like 200 NL, mm -hmm. 500 NL, yeah. 100 NL. Yep. Maybe 1K, I'm not quite sure. Even 1K is quite scarce online. Yeah. You need to play a bunch of sites to get a decent amount of 510 tables set up. Mm -hmm. So there's not that much traffic at stakes above mid stakes. So, so I don't know. And you've played, I, I mean, you play. Speculating. Yeah, spec sure, speculating. Uh, when it comes to your volume and games that you play we talk about this all the time and we laugh where you say that you're a 500 l to uh 10k and l 20k and l kind of guy pretty much you're sort of everywhere pretty much what's your experience and the way that you feel that that games higher stakes call it 2k and l plus have been when it comes to the amount of cheating that you've seen or things of that nature at least in your opinion well i play a lot of uh heads up and l and uh, six max and L. Yeah. Um, theoretically, uh, it's obviously easier to cheat in heads up. I play a lot of heads up, and it's very rare where I think that someone is actually RTAing. Right. If you think someone's RTAing, you can always just stop playing them. Yeah. That's the good thing about <laughs> online poker is if you think someone's cheating, you can literally just stop playing. Right. And you can go sit at another table, you can go play another site. Um, when it comes to live cheating, that's a little bit scarier because you're driving to the casino, you're making the plan to go play there, you're playing the game, there's probably not any other game, you can't just go play another game necessarily. Right. Especially if it's the only game of that stake in the room. Yeah. Um, so live cheating, you're really much more prevalent to uh, just getting got. If yeah. You're, if you're there and someone's cheating, you're going to get got. But <laughs> online, you can just leave. Mm-hmm. 
which is quite the tool. Yeah, definitely. And you've also played, obviously, a lot of high stakes cash live. So do you have any experiences or stories when it comes to potential cheating or things of that nature that you've experienced? A couple. Just a couple over my eight years. Uh-huh. Um, I won't name any names, obviously. Sure. Uh, one, one time I've been cheated. Uh, I've been cheated that I know of twice uh-huh. in live poker, no limit hold'em cash games. Mm-hmm. One time at a house game. One time in a series of many sessions at a public game. How in a casino. did you know? Uh, the person uh, got caught. Mm. That's pretty much the only way you, you can, could find out. Yeah. I, I don't know how else you could find out, really, other than getting caught. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I don't want to talk about how that person cheated because that couldn't influence other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. What I will say is that it was a one-person thing, and it wasn't uh, like some high-tech, crazy uh, like James Bond-like device. It was something that someone could do mm-hmm. with some practice just at home. Yeah. So it's definitely possible to cheat in a live game. Is it very rare? Yes, of course. Of yeah. course, it's like super rare. It's almost never going to happen, especially if you're playing in a public game in the casino. You should be quite safe almost every time, but not every time. Right. So do you want to talk about the other one? or uh, not, not in particular, no. Sure. No. Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, we we're going to have like a more wholesome type of conversation as we normally always do and still are, but... We've kind of reached the main event of, of poker Twitter right now, you know? It's kind of wild, this, this Garrett and Robbie situation, this uh, potential phone gate or rocket woman. Is this just like the most insanely well-played hand situationally of all time, or is there something going on? Nobody, uh, I don't think anyone can say 100% certainty either way right now. Yeah. We obviously don't have any hard evidence of cheating. Yeah. What do you think? currently have with the research you've done the things you've heard or seen i mean i just heard i heard about this last night like everyone else right tuned into the stream yeah started watching uh find the hand extremely peculiar <laughs> to say the least to say the least we're not going to get into the hand and like what happened because we did that earlier today okay right so we all know the hand at this point and if you haven't you can go back to the last episode of the podcast we did this morning and check it out I'm sure the timestamp's going to be there of uh, us breaking that down. But yeah, so when it comes to that hand, there was definitely some odd stuff going on. And there was some potential thoughts on soft play in other situations where there was a hand that Robbie played against Rip, who we now know uh, backed her, gave her a free roll for 50%. So basically sold a 2.0 markup in the game. Uh, so we can look at this clip and I guess see what we think when it comes to what we think theory would play like. And what we could potentially see as a potential misstep, you can call it. You're under no obligation. It's just kind of the brain. All the juicy stuff happens after midnight, though. Yeah, really? Yeah. You're bad. I meant that completely poker No, no, I couldn't. Hey. That's your mind. Race. Yeah, my train of thought. Maybe I'm bad. Who knows? 
Well, Rip here is going to bring it in for 2,500 with Ace Queen of Spades, and now Robbie picks up Ace Queen offsuit okay. here. Getting that shit going. Okay. And she's going to throw that. Take like green tea. What's that? You want a green tea? Let's see it. If it's cold. Heads up. You drink that shit hot, man. I drink cold stuff. And drinks hot. Wow. Where did this flop? So, pre flop, let's look quickly look into it. You know, open, three bet, call. Seems relatively standard. Maybe sometimes, in theory, you put in a four bet as you don't want to use ace jack off. It's a little bit too weak. And then ace-queen is kind of the really good one when it comes to the offsuit ace-x. So I think that makes a decent amount of reasonable sense. And especially in a game like this, I don't think I would ever be folding at any point, like pre. And I would always kind of play a three-bet, maybe low-frequency call in theory when it comes to the cutoff. But I'm mostly just three-betting in this spot for sure because the opener is probably going to be a little bit too wide. What do you think? Uh, so she, wait, she three-bet him, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't see open. anything strange yet. Right. Yeah, so nothing open. peculiar. Open, three bet call, all pretty normal. Yeah. All right, let's go to the flop. Looks like there could be some fireworks here. Flop come from ace, ace, eight. The other two aces on the flop. So both players with trip aces with the same kicker, they both have the same hand. Robbie could win it with backdoor clubs and it goes check, check. Dave's game last night. So strategically, I would assume on ace ace x flush draw, I would be putting in a range bet for quarter pot 100% of the time. Uh, so the check to me is a little bit dubious, maybe some trapping going on, but definitely from a theoretical situation, easy range bet. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely looking at just an easy bet. <laughs> although I wouldn't, I don't, I can't say that this is evidence of any cheating yet or anything yeah. weird. She does seem to be a recreational player. Uh, yeah. She could just be doing something weird. You know, right. this isn't, uh, this isn't too crazy yet. No, we're just uh, taking things for what but they are. It is uh, uh, it's not a great play. Right. And it's technically a, uh, a range bet in theory. So we're kind of off the beaten path a little bit, which is okay in some spots and obviously not alarm, like, and no alarm bells are ringing. It's just like, oh, interesting. Okay. Mr. Range bet. Next hand, or sorry, next, next action to the turn. No rake. Hmm? So, and now Rips bets 4,000. So obviously I think Robbie thought, thinks that she's slow playing and she just called, wow. Okay, into roughly 16, right? Maybe a little bit more. So he goes quarter pot. So now that we're off the beaten path, and the way that I see these spots, you can obviously chime in where you see fit. But when they miss a range bet, their range is actually stronger than it should be in, in theory and in practice. Because they're supposed to kind of do something, and when they don't, it makes me a little bit more concerned. And most of the time in these spots where flop's supposed to go check, bet, call, but it actually goes check, check, the adaptation player needs to be very careful. Because... Now, you still have the weaker range, so to speak, and there's no real breaking down going on here necessary. 
So when they miss a range bet, you actually kind of have to be careful. And definitely, uh, I would default sometimes to a range check on the turn to uh, kind of see what happens and then play some check raises depending. Ace-Queen clearly being a hand good enough to go for a check raise on Ace-Ace-Eight turn King as we have effective nuts after flop check-check in some regards. So I would think that most of the time I would play a check to check raise, but I don't think betting uh, is a mistake at all. Hard to really make a mistake when you have ace-queen on ace-ace-eight turn king. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree with your analysis there regarding the uh, flop check back from Robbie. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely weighted towards some sort of showdown value. Mm -hmm. Made hand. Yeah. For sure, uh, on average. Right, so what do you think about imposition call versus raise when they're this deep? And she kind of has top of range here, right? Like, are effectively near the top as ace-king is still going to ex exist. Well, the turn is a king, right? Yeah. So this is, uh, I mean, a decent amount of obvious checked back range might be king-king. Yeah. So this would be a good card to construct a raising strategy for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a raise on the turn would make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm on board with, with raise. Being a, uh, the better play. Yeah. And just because you have the best kicker, uh, the king is going to be a good card for the imposition range. I believe that they're, I don't know how deep they are exactly. They're super deep. Yeah. Then So the deeper you are, the more you need to construct a raise range to start getting the chips in the middle. Right. So they have roughly around 125, like 120k effective before the 4k goes in. And now there's a 25.5k after it goes bet call. So they're still pretty deep on the end with an SPR of like four and a half. Where in a nor normal cases in a three bet pot, this pot could have easily gone check, range bet quarter, call or check raise, considering ace queen being near the top for the out of position player, turn check B75, right? Because when uh, the king comes on the turn, very high EV card for the in position player, they're going to want to size up because most of their hands that they're going to want to bet are very value heavy, right? It's just ace X and then maybe like king queen, king jack as bottom and then play the king jack king queen as checkbacks on the end and then use the ace axe for triples so this pot could have gotten pretty big pretty quickly where the other ace queen is clearly not going anywhere especially after playing a check call on flop where they check call check call or if they go for check raise and then uh get floated by ace queen which is never going to fold on the turn king the other position player can still definitely have some bets and not play a range check because in this spot ace king off should still exist for the opener as it doesn't always four bet preflop. In practice, do I think that Rip is going to not four bet Ace King? Probably not. Who knows? So I would still lean towards maybe checking sometimes to play as a check call for a bluff catcher and also for B75 most of the time, as you still beat the Ace Jack, Ace 10, and the Ace Wheel bluffs for the imposition player that can't fold yet. Yeah, I'm on board with your analysis. I am your student. I don't disagree with uh, what I'm hearing. <laughs> I was your student, you know, I learned from the best. So anyways, let's go to River. And the River's a club. And obviously, Rip's going to continue to bet. But I wonder, oh, just 4,000. Blocking what I think you have, whatever. You know what? You know what? Thank you. You ready to show? Finally, Garrett gets in a private game. He's been She's waiting. Like, She's just going to call? No. Okay, let's pause it. She played that. Okay, so if we look at both of their hands, correct? There is Ace of Clubs, Queen of Spades, and Ace X, Queen of Clubs. Okay, cool. So they both have a club in their hand. On the river, 
Okay. Okay, he has ace queen of spades versus ace ace queen with a club. Okay, cool. So on river, we see the pot is 26k in it. And Rip bets 4k into 26. Which, when we think about bet sizing and construction, I think that block bets definitely make sense in the overall range because the club completing is good for the in-position player where they're going to fold if they do have the non-showdown stuff, if they don't pick up a club draw, and they're going to continue with their flush draws all the time for the price that they receive. Right. So let's start there. Now, when we think of sizes, we definitely think that a big size still exists, like a B75, as the outer position player is still going to have jack-10 of clubs and hands such as that, like flushes that want to get more money, as well as have some full houses, like ace-8 suited and things of that nature that also want to have a big bet. And I think we also want to have a small bet sometimes too after flop check check if we have a hand like king queen with a club, right? We can still go small, try to get called by worst king x, sometimes value on ourselves versus ace x. But after flop check check, a little dubious to think that that exists, but sometimes it does. Yeah. And if you value on yourself for small, you value on yourself for small. Sure. So when it comes to ace queen spades, I think block is reasonable. I think that big bet is also reasonable with the intention of folding to a raise if you do get raised as your hand doesn't really perform too well as a bluff catcher at that point when most people are going to mostly have flushes and boats in their raising range and not raise enough ace x for value uh, versus like a b75 because in theory you probably wouldn't because if you raise you yeah. either beat uh if you raise you want to say you have a flush plus you don't want to say you have an ace and you want to find your bluffs from probably like the king x that you don't think are very good and uh Maybe the lower pairs that you check back, like a pocket tens or something to try to find something like that. Yeah. So that's our map for the out of position strategy. For the in position strategy, ace queen with a club versus B20 on the river. The side call is a little bit, a little bit interesting. It is weird. It's a little her, bit her, sus. Her behavior is very strange there. How she like, I don't know. I, it is a little bit strange. And mm -hmm. her behavior on the hand against Garrett uh, on the turn when she's thinking about calling is very strange. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's all just strange. This yeah. is, uh, we were planning to do this podcast anyway, and this happened last night. So now <laughs> you right. know, we can't, we got to address this. A hundred percent. Like this is a, uh, it's all very strange. I can't say she cheated or didn't cheat really. <laughs> right. I don't course. know if she is cheating. I have no idea how she's doing it, but mm -hmm. Things look pretty strange. Right, and I think that extra caveat of knowing now that Rip had action and a lot of it when it yeah. comes to playing against her, it does make sense that there is some form of uh, mutually vested interest in not really attacking each other and going too hard, right? Because when he bets 4K, she now, raising becomes less incentivized because of the action. like. Yeah. You know, you're just winning back money from someone that puts you in the game anyways. Right. So there's always going to be that sort of aspect of soft play, collusion, stuff like that, where we think that exists anyways and we accept it because that's right. kind of part of the game sometimes, right? But it does put into perspective, it's a little bit different now seeing the hand that she played versus Garrett and all of those mannerisms when it comes to the gravity of the pot itself. Right? right like this was a massive pot and you kind of saw no real distress or duress from no, her side but for this 4k river bet you see pain like you have ace queen with a club this hand is a clear raise yeah. this is a clear raise in theory 
It's almost like uh, she knows she doesn't have the best hand, but she also knows she must call or else it's too fishy. Mm. But that's just speculation. Speculation, yeah. Speculation. I, it's, all, it's all quite... I just don't know how she's doing this, if she is doing something. It's yeah. just like the chess scandal going on right now. Mm-hmm. How is... If Hans is cheating, how is he cheating? Right. Like, we don't know. Yeah, it's so wild, too, because when you think about the uh, overall chess and also poker, like... When you think of both of them, like in the Magnus and Garrett, like Garrett is our number one in the community for live cash. Like he's, yeah. he's our guy and he thinks something's up. Magnus, the same thing with Hans, where Magnus is the goat, yeah. right? When it comes to chess, like there is no one comparable. And he's saying, I think something's going on here. Yeah. Do it, when someone like Magnus or G-Man says something it's it's worth much more than uh some random on a like a twitch stream chat or whatever it's worth like yeah obviously like you said um it's worth its weight in gold man weird. like it's they've both weird. been playing their games for decades and they're saying hey like i've been around these parts for a long time the, man the strangest thing is garrett doesn't seem to suspect hustler he said on his post uh he doesn't suspect hustler at all yeah so, She's doing it without the help of an insider. How is she doing it? It doesn't really yeah. make sense. This, this, by the way, this hand wasn't like that weird in and of itself. No. It wasn't, it wasn't that weird. I mean, weird hand, like smaller pots than they should happen, uh, happen all the time. 100%. Uh, in a vacuum, that hand doesn't mean much. But with uh, all these other strange, strange hands right. last night, it just doesn't add up. Like you said, her frustration over paying off 4000 versus happiness to put in 130,000 with what she claims a pair of threes with a bad side card. (laughs) It's very strange, you know, like this is a, I've probably said that word too much. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. It's complete. Uh, It's, there's stranger things, you know, like this, this might be one of them. And yeah, it's hard to know what's going on. And do I think that there is a, a suspected cheating going on? Possibly. Right. I'm not informed enough to make a decision, you know? What I do know is theoretical understandings and things of that nature, where I made a meme of running a sim saying, sim says, snap call Jack four, you know, you're in there. At least indifferent, (laughs) at least indifferent. But clearly in theory, like you fold free, you don't float flop, you don't min raise turn, you don't call off turn. So there's a lot of rocket man strategies going on here of just a lot of things that just seem so interesting because it's either the perfect storm, right? Where soul read. And also I, I said earlier today where it could have been a hedge as well, where she thought he had nothing and then calls and runs it twice because if she's wrong and Garrett does have a ace high type bluff, like ace X of clubs, ace X of hearts, she can still have two outs to spike and like make a pair versus these hands, where at the same time, uh, if she's uh, wrong, right? She could just be drawing dead. Yeah. And she's got <laughs> one of the worst side cards you could possibly have. Well. <laughs> the Jack of Clubs is... I know she's not a professional poker player. Obviously, right. she's not a professional poker player. But and that's it's a really okay, bad right. side card. Yeah. You want to talk about uh, why? Yeah, well, I mean, because it blocks... The exact hand that Garrett has, seven eight of clubs. She she's blocking these jack X of club combo draws. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
as clear as day really to even an amateur yeah when you think about it it's just like okay on this board two-tone double double flush draw there's a real possibility garrett could have had the queen jack of hearts yeah the real possibility that she just has the jack four and he's bluffing with the queen high and ends up holding you know it's you know she does do i don't know if you saw this hand she played against uh, eric person where okay. eric bets twenty thousand on the turn i believe it's a seven five four two board okay. eric has ace eight double flush draw neither suit just ace eight and she just has ace king neither flush draw she min raises the turn to 40 mm. and eric folds but it was the same thing where she min clicks the turn when she has the best hand in mm -hmm. a spot where she has no business being in the pot mm-hmm uh it's very strange i don't think we should talk about uh like that many methods of cheating but one of the ones that most people know about is there, there is just a device that you can buy I don't, yeah. you know about this yeah it just uh i believe it costs like several thousand bucks i'm not sure how much it costs mm -hmm. and uh it comes with an rfig deck and something to read the deck and it reads the deck and it says which seat has the winning hand mm -hmm. via some message usually headphones he wasn't mm -hmm. wearing headphones last night on the stream, obviously. Right. So but this is a way that people cheat, is they just know which seat has the winning hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It appears like she knows she has the winning hand in a, in a couple of hands of the night. And also, if you cheat, you wouldn't just cheat all night. Like, that's, how, uh, that's why Postle was so moronic, mm -hmm. is he was just playing perfectly every hand right. for a year or two years. Yeah. If you were a good cheat, you're just going to cheat to win, like, two or three pots. And you're set. And there's, there's a big striking understanding of what the fuck is going on, where you choose this hand in particular with the jack four off to now just kind of run rampant, you know? It's so crazy. There's like all of these Weird. little details, you know? It's like you're trying to pick up these little breadcrumbs somewhere, but the breadcrumbs trail off into a bunch of different ways. And then Hansel and Gretel don't know which way to go back fucking home because every, everything that you see is just like, wait a minute, is this real? Is this not real? Who really knows, right? Because a, you can't be, we said it earlier, you can't be a sharp, right? Sharp at cheating. You can't be stupid at cheating at the same time and greedy as well, right? You can't be yeah. all three things. You so, know what? That's the thing. I think you can. <laughs> My experience with these cheaters has been... The ones that have gotten caught, yeah. they always get caught due to their own hubris, mm. their own ego. These types of people that are the type to cheat to begin with, I think, mm -hmm. they just can't help it. <laughs> they'll be super using and they'll three bet the river on like a four flush board for a ridiculous amount. And then just, I've seen this happen and then they'll show the cards that they have. They'll show this <laughs> insane bluff while they're super using. Right. Like some of these, pe these people who are cheating just, I don't think they can help themselves mm. with regards to... Uh, cheating in the best way possible yeah. or hiding it effectively or not talking about it or not having co-accomplices. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite rare where you get smart cheaters who get away with it forever. I mean, I'm sure that is out there. but Of course, because we don't know the stories. Yeah, exactly. All this, but all the stories I do know about are people busting themselves, really. Yeah. Or just being their own worst enemy. Yeah. Man, it's a really interesting situation as to what's going on in both industries being chess and poker kind of at the same time of just what's going on because Garrett wouldn't just do that out of nowhere. Right. Obviously he believes he got cheated. Yeah. It's huge. That's, that's <laughs> massive. It's huge. It's it means the so... hustler stream 
was compromised if he's right. Yeah. And if he's wrong, then Fuck. it's horrible. Fuck. It's like if he's wrong and he's taking the money back like he has, it's really bad if he's actually wrong. Yeah. It's a, this is a lose-lose situation. Yeah. There's no, there's no winning here, you know, when it comes to the security and overall nature of the higher stakes streams and keeping all that stuff under wraps. Because as we said earlier, there's no committee in California that has rules and regulations. And the only thing that does is the Vegas Gaming Committee. So right. we don't have that open source code as to how the game is secure. Because if you had that, you'd find ways to get around it. Or... Look, I have no idea how that open source code works, if it could be hacked, or I have no idea. Just code in no the sense clue. of like how the stream is set up, how they keep yeah. it secure. We don't have that information of how they do it. I see. Right? We just don't have, like for Pio, the algorithm is open code. It's open sourced. You could see the algorithm, I think, yeah. for, for Pio as to how it works. But we don't have that when it comes to the security in, uh, in LA and in Texas or in other spots. And Vegas is the only one that does. So it's very interesting, you know, we got to keep our, uh, keep our ear to the pulse. I think that's the saying. Uh, and like, ear to the streets, neck to the pulse, something like that. And in lighter news, we can talk about what's going on in your life, things that uh, you're, you care about now, things that are important to you. As uh, I did just RSVP to, yes. to your events, yes. if you want to talk about it. I'm getting married. That's crazy. November 2nd. Wow. That's my dad's yeah. birthday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, you won't be there, will you? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll be at the wedding. Yeah. I'll be at the wedding. And Beautiful. I can call my dad and say happy birthday. I, I've never been to a wedding. Me, actually, neither. This will be my first one. <laughs> wow. So, I How eventful. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy, man. Yeah. Life is good. Yeah. So when it comes to your life and, and stuff like that, where are your priorities and what's your trajectory as to how you see your career building out as someone that's been in poker now for just this very sneaky eight years? Well, I'm just, uh, I'm just still in love with uh, No Limit Hold'em Cash, heads up and ring. Uh, so I'll just be playing my No Limit Hold'em Cash probably until I retire. Why do you think that is? Why do I enjoy the game? Yeah. Probably just uh, like the depth of the complexity of the game. Mm -hmm. Even after uh, years of sim work, so many hours, I'm still learning uh, new things like every, every week, every month. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. It's just, uh, I mean, I guess it's like chess, really. There's just a never-ending amount of things you can learn about this game. Mm -hmm. And people that think it's dead just have it all wrong. Yeah. Like pe we, people are so far behind how good you can be still. There's a lot of opportunity out there. No limit, hold them cash right. online and live. How do you think when it comes to becoming successful in poker and successful in the thing that you chose to do? Because clearly when it comes to the survivorship bias, you know, for every couple of us, there's thousands yeah. that have tried and have failed. And what do you think worked for you? Maybe, yeah. Uh, some degree of natural talent, but mostly uh, hard work, willingness to put in the time. I mean, when I was st starting out, uh, all I, d I mean, all I did was poker. I obviously didn't do anything else. I was like a 60 hours a week kind of guy for years and years. If I wasn't playing, I was studying, like playing 60 hours a week, studying another 30 hours a week, whatever. All the time it took, whatever it had to be. My goal basically was always just to be the best player in the world. Is that still your goal? No. Now it is not. The last like two years, it's shifted. How come? 
Uh, primarily because of the maybe the idealism of, and the unrealisticness of that goal. In what sense? Because mostly because Linus is just too damn good. I mean, I'm not gonna be able to get better than him. But more realistic goal, maybe I could be in the top twenty. Yeah. You know, that's more. Uh, that's much more realistic, and it's not something worth like uh, stressing over. All you can do is work on your own game, and be the best player that you can be. Is that what you want to be, or do you have like a goal or a metric to get there when it comes to becoming the best version of you? Um, I just I would say I don't really have a strategic groundwork for how to do that. It's mm-hmm. just something I do right. and work on. Yeah. When it comes to improvement, when it comes to learning, you just want to be the best version of yourself that you can be in some respect, right? Because you have other priorities. Poker is not your only priority anymore. Yeah, that's true. My relationship is extremely important. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. And poker is number two now. Yeah. That's something that's changed since mm-hmm. I first got into, uh, into the game. Uh, now I definitely live a much more uh, balanced life, yep. working like 40 hours a week not killing myself like uh mm-hmm. back in the day and yeah. also being more efficient is something to be said for that mm-hmm. just being more efficient not uh, wasting time not burning yourself out in what ways of just focusing when you're going to play the times you play and things like that yeah yeah mostly things like that okay. just playing uh if there's not really good games online i mean you don't need to play yeah you don't need to kill yourself yeah you grinding a two five there'll be like five ten ten twenty twenty five fifty tomorrow probably just because it's dead tonight yeah. Take it easy. Right. Go hang out with, uh, with the wife. Yeah. Because I know for me, and I can speak from my personal sort of growth and understanding into self-discovery, when it comes to my priorities right now, poker is definitely not number one. You know, number one for me right now is definitely physical health. And then I would say like physical health slash self-discovery when it comes to growing up and being an adult. You know, and I recently, this last day of September, I would consider my first full year of going to a trainer because it was the month of October of 2021 when I first started and Mm -hmm. doing that for my physical health and things of the like. And I sort of just realized, you know, this is really important to me. And I don't know when. The shift came from poker being number one and physical health being very low on the scale beforehand. Extremely low. Yeah. It was at the bottom, yeah. I think, right? For me, I was at my worst. I weighed 270. And like, I have a picture on it on my Twitter, but that wasn't when I was at my worst. I had a picture, maybe I was 270, like not 270 in that picture. Maybe it was a little mm-hmm. lo- lower because I started trying a little bit. But I didn't take it nearly as seriously as I did now, as I do now. And what I realized is I owe it to myself to be the best, not best version, because the best version is unattainable, but I owe it to myself to have a foundation and find my self-worth and validation through something that's not poker and finding what's important to me through my process, right? Through the things that I do, the things that I enjoy and the things that are on my priority list and focusing on improving those in some regards every day that I live. Because now my priority number one is going to the gym. Poker's still on there to some regard. It's not number one. Number two would be self-discovery, traveling, doing cool things, learning new skills. Like I've started cooking more. 
I think that's fun. Yeah. Start cooking some eggs. Nice. Uh, and uh, I just realized that there's so much more to life than poker. Because I remember when we first met, you saw how dedicated I was to the game. Yes. And there are times where that's important. And I still love poker a lot. But I also realize that I want to love myself. And loving myself doesn't just mean only playing poker. It means doing the things that you can with the time that you have with the people you love. And you find those things and have those experiences over time. And fortunately, like, I just have really good mentors and friends. And I can't thank Matt enough for all the screaming matches that we've had where he'd be like, hey, there's a little bit more important stuff than just poker going on. And people have been trying to get this through my head for a long time. But it's hard to really have those senses and feelings of being free when you don't have the ability to do it when it comes to like monetary restrictions and stuff like that. When I first started playing poker, I spent all my time playing because I needed to make money in order to prove to my mom that I could do it. And mm -hmm. once I proved to my mom I could, I was like, you know what? This is what I love. This is what I care about. Let me make this work. And now that I'm in more of a place of being able to take a step back and then come back to poker when I feel like, you know what? I have my career set out for me. I know how I want to scale in this game when it comes to picking tournaments, when it comes to maybe picking cash. And then the skill is not the issue, right? The theoretical knowledge and the application of understanding how to exploit, uh, even though Daniel thinks I am uh, the slave of the sim, yeah. which is okay. It makes me realize that the skill is not the issue. The issue is myself and finding the path. And everyone's path is different, you know? Everyone's going to have different experiences. Everyone's going to have different goals and trajectories when it comes to being able to be something in poker or in any industry. Not everyone wants to be the best poker player in the world. And that's okay. And the younger version of me thought that that wasn't okay. I was like, of course everyone wants to be the best in the world in poker. Poker's great. Why would right. you not want that? But then you grow up a little bit, and you're like, wow, there's a life outside of this game that you can most certainly enjoy with the benefits and the rewards of poker, where the skill set from poker gives you that freedom to follow it. And now I'm in that phase of, okay, I want to follow this other aspect of my life, being the self-discovery, you know, going on dates, doing a bunch of that stuff, traveling, uh, making new friends, and just getting into better physical health. And it's been such an amazing journey for me in the best and scariest way possible because it's only been a year, and the transformation that I feel in myself and the way and the confidence that I've gained in myself and the way that my self-love is trying to strengthen has been monumental in the ways and the process that I live my life now. And I'm sure you can feel the same when it comes to having a relationship that you're getting engaged, you know, like that's massive. And I'm yes. sure that's a lot more important to you than poker. Yeah, my life is much, uh, much more balanced, much healthier, mindset much better these days than uh, when, when I was in the dungeon, I yeah. guess you could say. Yeah, you're in the dungeon, like we were yeah. both in the dungeon, but yeah. then uh, we realized that the only thing that was keeping us in the dungeon was ourselves. And, Pretty and that, much. And that's okay. You know, it's Pretty okay much. to be in the dungeon. Like, I don't regret anything from the past couple of years, you know? Because there's a difference between making a mistake and then making an intentional mistake, right? And who's even to say if it's a mistake? 
no one's to say because now I have these skills that I learned from spending all this time and I have that backbone and foundation and network. And now when I want to pursue something to the highest ability, I know that the talent is there and also the work ethic is also there as well. Because I've done some things that I know you've been a part of in helping assist, like when it came to the Perkins challenge and stuff like that, where I took an approach of winging it a lot more than a technical understanding of the gravity of situations. Because I saw poker as a video game. Right. I didn't see poker as a career. So do you think there's times in your life when you change from poker being a video game to you to then moving it to a career? Mm. I think uh, maybe since I've been in a serious relationship and engaged for the last like year and a half, nice. uh, I've been seeing it less like a video game. When I was younger, I definitely saw it like a video game. Absolutely. It's crazy, right? Younger yeah. in the sense of eight years ago when you were yeah. 16. And <laughs> yeah, but even, even when I guess when I was 18 or 19, yeah i mean i've i've done some like uh i guess poor decisions like playing multiple people heads up at the same time 50 100 <laughs> yeah like that's just not a good career decision right you obviously are diminishing your edge playing two people at one time right like, this is ridiculous it's just stupid mm -hmm. i've done like ridiculous things like this that i would just never do now just mm -hmm. because i view it more like a career like instead of a video game as you said right that's definitely true i'm to view it more seriously mm -hmm. i suppose like yeah because I remember us, we were talked a little bit prior and we were talking about uh, some advice when it comes to becoming successful in poker. And we said, uh, you can obviously have your take, but I was talking to you. There's two different ways you can go about it. One is grinding. Right? You show up, you do the work. You show up, you do the work. And over a certain amount of time, you know, you realize that if you're doing it intentionally and sometimes even not as intentionally as you need to, you get results and that's what kind of keeps you going. And I know that's the case for me and not just poker, but in anything like right now, I love jump rope. Like I love jump roping, right? And I know that I can't hold myself to mastery of the jump rope when it comes to doing some tricks and some skills that I want to learn. But also at the same time, I realized I've only been taking it seriously for two months, right? How can you expect excellence? How can you expect to be a master or be good at something when you first start doing it? You hold we as a society and as a public hold ourselves to such high standards where it's so easy to get shot down and think that you're not good at something when you first start trying it. And the way that I see it is that talent keeps your ceiling, but consistency raises your floor, right? When you're yeah. talented and consistent, a lot of upside there. And that's how I see when it comes to poker, when it comes to any skill you want to do, it takes consistency and understanding that you're not going to be great at the start, most cases, and that's okay. You're allowed to be bad at things until you get good at them. Like, I was bad at poker before I got good. You were bad at poker before you got good. And then you take a lot of time and you realize that this is what you want to do. And then the other way is just spending all of your time and energy into it and just taking that time for yourself. And that's what I've done with my number one priority being physical health and just equating poker to physical health, being like, wow, every decision I make is going to be based off of my number one priority of my physical health. When it comes to the things I eat, when it comes to the re exercise regimen that I do, when it comes to understanding those things. And there's ways to be more intentional about that. And you learn those as you go. Like a good example would be, I would do a certain exercise and I fucked up my wrist being really dumb. And I realized, wow, I was actually doing this exercise wrong because my wrist isn't actually supposed to hurt when I do it. 
I'm supposed to push instead of pull. So when you push, the wrist isn't getting fucked up. And I was like, wow. I learned this more and learned better form through understanding that, wow, this is not supposed to be painful. And sometimes these things just sort of happen where you learn things as you go and you're supposed to make mistakes and be young. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you're always learning. Even when you get old, you should always be learning. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Your health has been, you are a transformed person from three years ago. Yeah. That's absolutely true. It's wild. Yeah. Because you knew me then. I know. Yeah, you look completely different, man. You look great. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate I it. I remember like uh, three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any uh, like advice or tips and tricks for, for the folk that watch us that uh, still believe in the poker dream? Mm, my first tip might be to not pursue poker professionally. Mm-hmm and pursue it for fun mm-hmm. if you have the means to do so. Yeah. If you do pursue it professionally anyway, despite that warning, uh, there's a lot of tools out there that you should just start studying. You need to study like crazy. There's a lot to catch up on. If you're just getting into it today, there's also a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of pitfalls. You don't want to get scammed or cheated. Mm-hmm. Uh, How do you avoid those in the best way possible? I think the only way to really ever avoid entirely is by living a hermit lifestyle mm-hmm. and just not talking to or trusting or doing any sort of transactions ever with someone else in the gambling world but this is obviously uh, somewhat re- unrealistic especially if you play live poker yeah you just got to be careful man I mean, you, you got to do your due diligence talk to other people someone doing business with you references someone like you should probably maybe you should talk to someone else in case uh, that person they've referenced is uh, like a helper or not even, you know what I mean? Like you, you just need to be very careful with these scams out here. People are creative, definitely uh, willing to steal. Yeah. Because there's little oversight in this industry. A little, there's not very many people who get punished. It's interesting because for myself personally, and then you can obviously talk about your own experiences with this, I, I'm so naive to the sense of things that exist when it comes to potential scams and stuff like that, because it was, it's never in my blood, you know, it's not something I really understood and saw much value in because at the end of the day, you have to live with your decisions and live with that on your conscience. And it's tough, at least for me to deal, to deal with in some situation where it's like, wow, this situation happened and now I have to be held accountable and responsible. And of course, the more you are experienced and exposed, I'm really fortunate that I have the friends in my life that I do, that have been around the block, seen some of these things, that just say, hey, just watch out. Yeah. Just (laughs) Just fucking watch out. Yeah. The person or act isn't as clean as you think it is. And they're a good cross-reference everyone has their own life experience. I was fortunate enough to live in a good living situation, all things considered, and learn in the morality standpoint of not stealing and integrity being important and living by those values. Right. To where I didn't think that these things existed in others. Where Like you, I was also extremely naive until uh, something happened to me. Yeah. When I was uh, the, the live poker yeah. experience I, alluded, I talked about earlier. 
Sure. Yeah, I was very naive before that. Before I got cheated in a live public casino, I thought it was impossible. Mm -hmm. I thought it was literally impossible. It never crossed my mind that it was possible. But, you know, after eight years of uh, live poker playing, you do see some things. You learn that it is possible. Right. <laughs> you learn that uh, greed exists. Yes. You learn that people, when there's money to be won, people will cheat. Yeah. Even when there's no money to be won, people will cheat. Yeah. That's something I remember uh, from my old Pokemon days, actually. Even in, like, if you were playing like a state championship with no money up top, people would be cheating to win the state championship. Yeah. Just because, like, just to win it when there wasn't even monetary incentive. Now you're talking about poker where there's sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. Right. Obviously, some people are going to make a large attempt to cheat. Yeah. And in some ways, uh, valiant attempts and other ways less so. Do you have anything like closing thoughts or things that you want to impart on to the viewers today? Be careful out there. <laughs> the streets are real out there. That's, that's it. <laughs> Just be careful. Do your due diligence. Don't play in a game if you're suspicious of something. Right. All right, guys. That's going to be it for us uh, for episode number 130 of the Only Friends podcast. And I'm going to head to L.A. later tonight. Hang out there for a weekend. Get my passport stuff done for the hike that I'm going to go on. And uh, Jeremiah is going to go hang out and enjoy the engaged life. Yes. The married life. Good fun. Yeah. All right, guys. That's it for us. Peace.